Live from the office of Dr. Sam Loomis at Smith's Grove Sanitarium, this is Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated Austin Powers podcast on the internet. I'm Kevin. As always, I'm joined by super producer extraordinaire Mackenzie Wilkes. Hello, hello, hello. Mackenzie, can you believe, can we just, I, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I think that you and I need to take a second. Folks, the film we're talking about tonight is a movie that does not link to the Austin Powers franchise. We were put up to it in a manner we'll discuss in a moment. It's John Carpenter's Halloween. Mm-hmm, it's an mm-hmm. all-time classic. All-timer. But before you listen to this, if you didn't listen to last week's, I'm going to go ahead and call it an episode. Highly recommend you check that out because Mackenzie and I were kidnapped. And that's yeah. how we met in real life. Uh, good news. <laughs> yes, Jigsaw let us out to have dinner in New York City for, for a little bit. And then uh, and then we were yeah put back in. And then we were put right back in. And then, you know what the crazy thing is? He let us go. He let us go, yeah. Like, to, we have to record I, somehow. It was There was a verbal agreement to do Halloween, and then he let us go. Usually, he puts you in like a, a Venus flytrap around your face mm-hmm. or puts your hand in a thing full of, full of syringes or whatever. Oh, God. Us, oh. we had to watch a great... I'm sorry. It's just what he does. <laughs> I know. That's why I don't watch right? his movies. Yeah, I bet. Spooky. <laughs> That's and could you believe in an Iraq War era America that was what was scary? Jesus Christ. Was like a metal thing hitting your head really hard. <laughs> Come on. Weird. Somewhere, somewhere there's a senior project at some liberal arts college where someone parses this that isn't me. But anyway, Jigsaw said it. We're doing it. Mm-hmm. John Carpenter's Halloween. Very excited. Jamie Lee Curtis. I believe this is her grand debut on Austin Danger Podcast, besides me talking about her every <laughs> week. I think so, because we didn't do everything everywhere. We just talked about it a ton. That's correct. Um, the only other things I can think of that would have been on the show are True Lies, maybe, Freaky Friday. We did not do True Lies. Called Wanda. Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday Freaky, would be those, very in pocket, yeah. All those movies are deep in pocket. I hope we do that one day, but we're starting with Tom Arnold the OG. debuting on the pod for True Lies. <laughs> oh no, my God. Tom Arnold returns, everybody, because he's in Austin Powers. Oh he's my God, the he is. Cowboy. The cowboy. You show that turd who's boss. That's our connection to True Lies. I'm a mess tonight. <laughs> Aren't we? Oh, hey, we just got kidnapped, all right? We got to cut ourselves some slack. I, 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 all I can smell is this jigsaw bathroom. I need you to know that tr- trying to explain the deep lore of our podcast and the wheel to one of Rachel's coworkers this last weekend was genuinely one of the funniest things ever. And I'm like, so we have this wheel, right? And it's been haunted for about three weeks and uh, we're going to get kidnapped. And <laughs> just trying to explain the lore of Austin Danger podcast to someone who does not listen um, is very fun. So what I really mean is listeners, you're the real ones. You understand. You get us. We are the Robert Jordan's wheel of time of podcasts. <laughs> Every episode dense with lore. You have to remember all of it or else we you're to, never going to understand it. We need to turn into mystery science theater where we just have like characters that come in and out of this world. That is Austin danger podcast. We have many. <laughs> there are many Luis de Tulio. See, like, <laughs> That's lore. True. lore, lore, lore. Before we talk about Halloween, I am obligated by the podcasting jigsaw mm. to ask Mackenzie. Yes. Have you been watching anything this week? What have you been watching? Go ahead. Um, yeah. I mean, I haven't watched a ton of movies this week. Honestly, I had kind of like a weird five day stint where I pretty much watched nothing uh, over the weekend. Um, but I did 
yesterday check out a couple of movies weirdly i had like a day full of watching a bazillion movies um and i checked out this french film called the origin of evil that is now available to rent on amazon and oh it's on apple now so i guess it's available to rent on apple uh and voodoo it was only on amazon when i was renting it um but it was a movie that interested me because i saw the trailer i don't think it was before strange way of life it was before something else i saw very maybe before bottoms i think it played um and you know i could see the advertising at work it was like a lot of the pull quotes in the in the trailer were like it's succession da 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 and by its succession they basically mean like a complicated family dynamic of rich people and the worlds that they live in which this film is about but it's definitely doing something different than succession is trying to do um but i found it really interesting i there was a part of me that almost gave it four stars i ended up going more three and a half closer to three and a half with it only because like it didn't quite crystallize like there was a i wanted to go a little further with it i think I could see someone maybe watching this and feeling the same way as me. And it, it makes sense when you're watching the film. Like I, I wish it just went a little bit further, a little bit more kind of out there. Cause it, it is kind of taking some bold risks and I wish it just kind of pushed those even further. I've seen a lot of people compare it to gone girl and the way that it deals with like um, mistaken identity and uh, changing your identity and absorbing a, you know, per- a different personality in order to survive or, or, or change exist inside of a space you don't normally things like that there's a lot of themes like that in the film that are very interesting and so i wish it just went a little further with everything i kind of but um but i really really enjoyed it i love the lead performance in there um an actress named uh uh, laurie calamy i don't know if i'm saying that name correctly because she is french um she's in that movie sybil which i think is kind of vaguely popular from a couple years ago um she's amazing in this she's so good there's this like crazy dutch angle thing that's like the last shot of the movie that's of her and she's amazing in it and she plays these layers of a character that needs to sort of pivot her personality from scene to scene so well which i think is just a hard thing to act and she kills it um so yeah i see the i see i I think if you're a fan of succession-y things or of thrillers i think it's just more of a thriller than it is kind of like i i see the comparison to succession and I just think it's doing something else. And so like, if it's, if you like thrillers or things similar to a gone girl type of story, I think you might enjoy something like this. Um, yeah. There's a couple of twists in this that I think are really well executed. I gasped at one of them. One of them I saw coming and I still loved it when I got there. And then uh, one near the end, I actively gasped at. So it has some really fun twisty dialogue and some really fun twists in the story. And um, yeah, the rental is like seven bucks. I know it's not free. I'm sure it will eventually come somewhere for free to stream, but like seven bucks ain't a lot for a new movie. And uh, yeah, I recommend it. Again, I'm pretty like, I thought it was a really good, like, movie i just liked it a lot so definitely want to recommend that um i don't know another weird thing i watched was a movie called antonia's line and it was very funny because mere moments after publishing this review i got a message from you that was just like yo what are you watching today because <laughs> i watched so yeah, pretty many, much yeah i've watched so many weird shit uh antonia's line being one of that i don't remember why i added this to my watch list i put it on my watch list very recently I don't remember why I couldn't find a mutual that has logged it. I, maybe I saw a tweet about it. Like I literally don't know why I added it to my watch list, but I saw it and I was like, I don't know. I'll just watch this fucking movie. Why not? It was really just a, I'm just going to throw it on type of thing. Uh, I, I really liked it. It is tonally 
super strange. It's kind of described as a feminist fairy tale. And it has that sort of magical realism at the top that I love. And then it just didn't quite carry that throughout the film, which I thought uh, I uh, maybe kind of sad. I kind of wish it kept that sort of magical realism element, like statues coming to life. And then these kind of crazy, kooky, imaginative moments that are at the top of the film that I love that just didn't quite carry throughout the, this film. Um, but it's interesting. It's about this woman post-World War II who goes back to her kind of undescribed danish town dutch town and uh builds a lineage of strong interesting women uh through her daughter her granddaughter and then her great-granddaughter and it's kind of about these women and the people that they the the community they create around them uh and the lovers they take into their lives uh and it's very feminist it's very sweet uh there is some i will do a warning there is some assault on screen that is part of the feminist themes of these women in this community fighting back against rapists and people who would, you know, harm other people and specifically women in this film. Um, so there's some upsetting moments, but it, it all comes around. The retribution is given and, and justice is justice. Swift justice happens in one case. So uh, it's, but it's, so yeah, it's just kind of a feminist fairy tale about these women. And I was teetering to three, three and a half. And then the ending made me ball my eyes out. And I was not expecting it at all. Like I, it, it is one of those movies that like, it's kind of, you're just watching these people exist. And then by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, so touched by this community and family of women and watching them all be together at the end, just like, deeply deeply moved me so it's it's a soft little movie that just kind of sneaks up on you and i thought that was interesting and it actually won best international feature at the oscars in 1996 uh and it's a weird choice very weird little movie to win that 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 big award so kind of interesting i think uh, i will absolutely be corrected but i believe i read that it was the first film directed by a woman to win that award ever um so yeah just cool stuff antonia's line 1995 six something like that so yeah, just watched two two vastly different films that I watched this week, but uh, two two pretty fun movies. Uh, yeah, I don't know, Kevin. I don't know if you have any thoughts on those movies, but also you can also tell me what you watched. I got nothing. That's really cool. I appreciate you did that. Just weird stuff. Movies are cool and fun. I am at a crossroads. Well, mm. it's October thirtieth, and people are listening to this now, so you'll know how this turned out. I'm pretty much ready to abandon my spooky journeys. Um, <laughs> I haven't even I'm done any. <laughs> I, I set it up again. I mean, last year I was good, but last year I had about 35 more hours a week of free time. And it's just not practical. Mm. And then at the end of my day, I really don't want to watch like a horror movie I arbitrarily put on a list. So I'm probably going to abandon the... <laughs> I mean, I'll watch Hellraiser three and four. I'll finish the Critters journey, even though Critters three was a junk. Um, <laughs> I watched Phantom of the Paradise, one of your all time faves. Yes. It's one of those movies that uh, I would have been a much more peaceful, joyous lad, more inspired and better as a person if I had seen it in high school. And uh, I heard about it in high school. So what took me so long? I don't get it. I was obsessed but- in high school. Beautiful movie. Absolutely loved that. It's the Brian De Palma, Paul Williams, Phantom of the Opera riff years before Andrew Lloyd Webber would make the story famous with uh, a musical, let's call it. It's also Faust. It's also like, it's like a blend of that and Faust. It is also a blend of Faust. That's right. That's Mm -hmm. right. It's a good call. 
what else did I watch? I watched the Rob Zombie Halloween movies, which we'll, I don't even think we'll touch. They are future episodes. Oh, they God. link to the Austin Powers franchise. They are, uh, we may not cover them because they are so heinously unpleasant. Like, I know. again, I, I opened, I opened the episode talking about Saw and torture porn theater. And while I don't know if, I don't know if um, Hollow, Rob Zombie's Halloween movies are as bad as Hostel, they're oh, pretty, geez. they're pretty heinous. Yeah. And in terms of the violence and the extreme violence. And then it's to justify. I'm trying not to say this word on air, but I'll say it again because it's true this time. One of the craziest thematic through lines I've ever seen in a movie mm. with the white horse symbolism in Halloween 2. It really is like Halloween 1 is fine. It's like an hour of new material. That's just Rob Zombie doing his usual thing. And then a remake of Halloween 1. But then Halloween two is just bananas. Um, Chris Hardwick hosts a talk show and weird Al and Dr. Loomis are the guests and weird Al makes fun of Dr. Loomis so hard that he almost walks off the show is Halloween two. This is Rob zombies. Halloween two, by the way, is that the one that start? Does it start with Michael, like stabbing someone in the eyes? Uh, Yes. Okay, I have a story about that one then <laughs> when we get to our history of Halloween. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that movie is, uh, it's tough. It's tough. And I guess I owe it to everybody to do one last New York Film Festival update. I loved my time at the festival. I had an amazing time. It was great to see all these movies because there are so many movies coming out that it was great to knock a couple big ones off of my list. Now, the hits keep coming. I have to try to fit Anatomy of a Fall into the next nine days mm -hmm. on top of Priscilla opens next weekend. And then also the Holdovers opens next weekend. Wow. Anatomy of a Fall is playing. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon is playing. And then right when I get caught up with all of that, Napoleon will open at Thanksgiving. Mm. So <laughs> it's packed. We got a packed it's a like, mess. fall of movies that are all amazing looking. And it's all a beautiful thing. Like again, the worst movie I saw at New York Film Festival, which we'll discuss in a moment, is fine. And other people love it. So mm -hmm, that's the thing. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. the first movie I want to talk about is a certified five bang from the jump. It's Michael Mann's Ferrari. Wow. Michael Mann, the master of movies about serious men trying to hold their lives together. And more over the years, I think, uh, the, the people around them try to bend and flex to accommodate these people in their lives as they bring them up to accomplish great and terrible things. Mm. And uh, I don't want to ruin it. The trailer, uh, what I will say is the trailer that was released two weeks ago, as people are hearing this ruins a special effect moment that took my breath away because I wasn't <laughs> expecting it. Oh wow. And I cannot believe that they ruined it in the trailer. I'm stunned that they ruined it in the trailer. I so uh, is steer it the clear one, of that, I guess. Is it the trailer that's quick with no dialogue, pretty much, where it's just like quick oh, shots? Because no. that's what I it's got the new... in theaters, and it was amazing. That trailer was amazing. This one like just came out yesterday, mm, and it's a okay, conventional it trailer. Okay, it's the kind of trailer that shows you half the movie. I am over that shit. Like, literally, like I saw Nope opening weekend, and then like the Monday after opening weekend hit and there was a trailer showing the shot of jean jacket 
uh, chasing him down, you know, when he's, when da- uh, Daniel Kaluuya is like, ru- like running the horse down the like lane. It's that amazing shot of the alien coming down. And I'm like, why is that in a trailer two days outside of opening weekend? Like, I don't understand what people's obsession with, tra- cause I thought that one trailer of Ferrari, that's quick, just some quick shots, no dialogue, mostly just cars revving. It was exhilarating. It immediately made me go, oh, this movie I was kind of probably going to ignore. I want to see now. And it looked cool. Like, that's all I need a trailer to do. I don't need to know this, the whole movie. We had a similar issue with Napoleon. We just watched the new Napoleon trailer that went up two weeks ago as people are listening to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did all the same stuff. Like, why did I? I didn't want to see this. Yeah, geez. And it's not convincing me. Like, I don't far be it from me to I'm not a casual viewer. I'm going to go to this movie anyway. Yes. (laughs) But I find it ridiculous that a casual viewer wouldn't have been excited by the first insane Napoleon trailer. Mm -hmm. I don't get it. But if you're listening to this, you'll go um, take your family. You'll all be bummed out. It's a real bummer. How's Penelope? Um, But a beautiful film. It's a phenomenal. Excellent. So excellent. All the acting. Shailene Woodley, I will say, is asked (laughs) to do an Italian accent. And you can tell in the production at a certain point she gave up. And that's okay. (laughs) And same with McDreamy, too. McDreamy's in it, Patrick Dempsey. (gasps) And he is a comedy character. (laughs) What? And he does amazing. He's really great, but he's obviously like a comic relief character. Oh, that's so strange. What a weird career he's having right now. Well, yeah, I know. Ferrari was great. And the next movie and the last movie I saw at the festival was Yor- Yorgos Lanthimos' Poor Things. Um, if you follow me on Letterboxd, letterboxd.com slash Kev, you'd know that he's become one of my favorite directors out there, which is why I was just really disappointed by the look and feel of Poor Things. Mm-hmm. I... I just, it didn't come together for me, unfortunately, without getting into it and ruining the movie. If you didn't like the fisheye lens stuff in The Favorite, every other shot is fisheye lens (laughs) in this film. And I thought that they were building to some kind of reveal. Like, oh, was Willem Dafoe watching her through these cameras or whatever? But the cameras are like goofy steampunk cameras because it's a goofy steampunk movie. And no, the answer was no. The answer was they wanted to do fisheye lens. I'll never get it. And they do these zooms. They take these extremely high definition shots and then just do extreme zooms. And it's cool. The first about 25 times they're done. But after a while, I just thought all of this was so obnoxious. Mm. And then the production design is so over the top, so crazy that like, it felt like it felt like the corporate version of this story. Mm. And then I've also heard from friends who've read the book that, there is a deep, there are deep, deep themes in this book that are just not explored at all. It's, it feels like a very surface level read of this story based on what I've come to understand. Oh, wow. So in pretty much every way, I was extremely disappointed. But if he had uh, threatened the life of another thoracic surgeon, maybe I would have given it a bit more points. <laughs> but I'm in like the threes on that. I think it's like a good, it's a good movie that if you're listening to this, you will probably really like. Um, three stars is good. It is not a death sentence. We are not children in the woods. <laughs> yeah. I'm still planning to see it. Like I, I've, I, I like the lobster a lot. I loved the yeah. favorite when it came out. I haven't wa- revisited it since it came out, but like, 
it was one of those movies where like all the gays showed up because it's like Rachel Vice and Olivia Coleman and you know we we got to be there for the girlies and and they're being gay with each other. So Rachel, I remember God, it brings me back to a time in which Rachel and I saw like The Favorite and Parasite in theaters like back to back. Uh, and it was just such an amazing time where I think I was really kind of starting to actually get into movies in a different way. So I think the favorite I have like a, a very soft spot for because it is maybe one of the first like films I really saw that I like engaged with and sought out. Um, I need to revisit it. I need to re- I also need to watch Killing of a Sacred Deer, you know, and then and then check out Poor Things. Killing of a Sacred Deer blew my mind. Yes. Because- when you have issues in your life with a medical professional, Killing of a Sacred Deer becomes a grand comedy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Becomes one of the great comedies of all time. For normal people, it's just fucked up. But man, was that hilarious. So yeah, poor things. I mean, I was personally kind of let down by it, but people like it. The acting is great. I think if you're like an Oscar person, you're going to want to come see it for Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo, mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. who are giving some amazing... Again, Yorgos, though, still managed to speak to me with the Mark Ruffalo character for reasons I cannot get into uh, because you, listener, are not my therapist. So, <laughs> there you go. Um, and yeah, that's poor things. And that's a bunch of different movies. I gave and gave and gave morning show continues to be absolutely outrageous. There's no other way about it. Billy Crudup went to his mom's house and they sang ain't no mountain high enough on the piano and then immediately fought to where they had to leave. I did get on at Apple TV and notice something along the lines of like Jen Aniston kissing the Elon Musk character. And I was like, okay, yes. okay. all right. All right. Well, that's the whole thing is, you know, that's the big controversy now. And then on top of that, what's the other thing that happened? Oh, yeah. Roe v. Wade got overturned. So we get oh. to see every character's reaction to that. Love it. Love it. <laughs> which is great. Again, to quote the great Bo and Yang on Las Culturistas, the third graders in the writer's room are doing an incredible job. Well, speaking of third graders in the writer's room of the morning show. What does it all mean, Basil? Look, I got nothing. Good. I have, like like the third graders in the writer's room of the morning show, I got zero. I have, there's a home in West Australia that looks vaguely mod. Like, it doesn't even look that mod. And this kind of clickbait real estate blog is calling it the Austin Powers house. I'm going to send this listing to Mackenzie for her to review. Okay, hold on. That's not even... How was that an Austin Powers house? It's just like vaguely... Oh, uh, oh my God. What's the... What's the, I can't think of the name. Mod? Yeah, it's like... it's uh, Not even. I uh, Barely. Like, it's it's that... um. I can't think of the name of the type of furniture it is. Uh, yeah, this just looks like a normal house. This is not particularly groovy. Like, you gotta look like Austin's... Austin's pad, his swing and pad, if you're gonna call it an Austin Powers house. It has to be annoying. It can't be neutrally colored. Like, what the hell? Yeah, the walls can't be eggshell white. Yeah, li- yeah. And the and that type of, that tiling on the counter is very, like, Nashville apartment that was built in 2020. Foul. <sighs> we, gotta, we gotta email them and get them to take that down. How dare you call That's that an it. Austin Powers house? That's the biggest thing that happened in Austin Powers world this week. That's it. 
I mean, there's some other stories that are just generally awful. And then there's the usual clickbait where like they ran into Heather Graham on the street. She was like, yeah, I was in Austin Powers. And that's like enough. <laughs> well, you know, before we transition into Halloween, because it is Halloween, uh, this is a time in, of year in which people dress up in costumes. And frequently every year, I see so many people, not even in our sphere, just online in the internet, still dressing up as Austin and Austin characters. So, hey, if you or anybody you know is dressing in something in the Austin verse, the Austin verse, oh my God. Uh, the Austin verse for Halloween. Send us a picture. Tag us. We'll share it on our social media and stuff. Uh, it's going to yes. be a good Halloween. It's going to be a great Halloween. This It snuck up on me this year. I can't believe it's already October 30th. Silly. Silly. The day this episode is being released. <laughs> Happy Halloween, Kev. Happy Halloween, Mackenzie. And speaking of Halloween, I think it's about time we finally talk about... Now, there have been slashers, right? There's a Psycho and there's Black Christmas. and but But... The film we're talking about tonight is the first to really streamline a model that we saw repeated time and time again. Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Child's Play. All movies we could have talked about this month, but the wheel did not pick them. That movie is from 1978, John Carpenter's Halloween. So Mackenzie, please take us to Haddonfield, Illinois, to Dr. Sam Loomis, and to Michael Myers. Halloween night in Haddonfield, Illinois, 1963, a young six-year-old boy named Michael Myers brutally stabs his sister to death. Almost exactly 15 years later to the day, psychiatrist Dr. Loomis is heading to the sanitarium to escort his longtime patient Michael to a hearing that Loomis hopes will lock him away for life, believing the young man to be inhuman, made of pure evil. On this stormy night, due to an apparent outage, Michael was able to escape, attacks the nurse accompanying Loomis, and steals their van. Loomis correctly believes he's heading home, and follows Michael to Haddonfield, desperately trying to convince the lazy police force that their town is in very real danger tonight. A young woman named Lori Strode drops off a key at the old Myers house that her father is selling, and catches the attention of Michael who has returned to his childhood home. Unbeknownst to her, she is stalked all day by the eerily calm Michael, and when she catches small glimpses of him, she begins to question her own sanity. Pushing those thoughts away, she prepares to babysit young Tommy Doyle this Halloween night, while her best friends plan their various sexcapades in other houses. Loomis waits at the Myers' home, expecting to find Michael and capture him, while Michael keeps busy killing Lori's horny friends around the neighborhood. Lori and the kids notice some strange occurrences, but write them off as jokes, as Lori soothes the kids' fears and her own. But when a suspicious phone call comes through from her friend, she goes to inspect the Wallace house and finds all of her friends murdered and placed around the house. Michael finally attacks Lori, who is able to escape at first, but this devolves into a jam-packed sequence of Lori fighting and the seemingly unkillable Michael Myers time and time again. Eventually, the kids are able to escape and run for help, alerting Loomis to Michael's location. He intervenes and shoots Michael six times, seeing his body falling off a second-floor balcony. Finally, peace. But not for long. As they look out, Michael's body is gone from the ground below. Evil has come home. And the terror will continue on Halloween. 
<laughs> Michael, we have to stop Michael. Evil has come to your little town, Sheriff. I've looked in his eyes. His cold black eyes, like a doll's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that the whole time. Loomis okay, is quint-coated for sure, yeah. I was I was thinking about this as I was watching it. Mm-hmm. He is basically just Quint and Mr. Bean <laughs> together. Oh my gosh. Well, Kev, before we get into Loomis and all of it, what is your history with the film Halloween? I was always a big scaredy cat. And then Halloween 2020, I was staying at my girlfriend's and I got up before her. And so at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning, I watched Halloween on my phone. And it's a testament to how amazing Halloween is that it played just as well as any amount of times I've watched it on my TV in 4K mm. or on the new Shout Factory disc or any other different combination. It is so effective that it plays on any size screen with apologies to David Lynch. So <laughs> while I've really fallen in love with that franchise over the last three years, it's really been the backbone of my horror journey. Mm. All of that is pretty new still. And it all comes from Halloween. So, and I'm at Shyamalan. Mm. So that's where I'm at. Mackenzie, please unravel the the, the sordid history the i lore. have yeah the, yes. the mckenzie lore i am also a big scaredy cat um when i was very very small when i was like four years old four or five years old uh, a cousin of mine scared me when i was at my aunt's house by lining his room with a bunch of halloween masks and when i went to go like fleshy kind of you know monsters ghouls probably michael myers when i went to go get him for lunch he hid in one of them and then jumped out and grabbed me Scared the literal probably piss out of me when I was a child. And that led to a McKinsey that had a pathological fear of masks and Halloween and anything to do with spooky. It was so bad. My mother would like get mad at me when I, if we had to walk down a Halloween aisle to get to a different part of like Walmart, I would just have a panic attack and be unable to walk down the aisle. I would have to find coping mechanisms to just get through this time of year. Uh, I was a kid who hated trick-or-treating because I knew if I went out, the big kids would scare me. And it just, I was a very, very terrified person. Uh, I remember one time I had a slumber party at my place and my friends outvoted me to watch poltergeist and i was so scared i sat in the kitchen by myself at my own slumber party <laughs> like i i was it was sort of part of mckinsey's thing that i was this huge scaredy cat cut to i think i'm 14 my best friend and i are like we're grown-ups now we're 14 i'm gonna watch a scary movie i'm gonna face my fears let's just find whichever one seems the most famous and we'll get it there was a independently owned not blockbuster independently owned dvd rental place down the street from her house we walked down there and i think i had heard of halloween because you you know you don't get through life without hearing about michael myers and you hearing that iconic theme and i was like let's get halloween and they didn't have it because we were renting a dvd on halloween but they had halloween too so we just grabbed halloween too and watched it and uh i know i'm telling this very roundabout story but all that to say is that i remember as 14 year old having never watched a scary movie before in my life and i now I do think that Halloween two is not as good as Halloween one, but at the time I was like, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. And I think I do remember that movie being one of the movies that I started noticing the way shots were composed. And I couldn't believe that I was falling in love with this scary movie. Um, 
And then the Rob Zombie thing is, I think the Rob Zombie movie came out at the around the exact same time. So my friend and I were like, well, let's go see the new one. As soon as oh, I saw no. those eyes get stabbed, I ran out of the theater. I was like, I got to throw up. I am leaving. So that's my history with the Rob Zombie Halloweens is I tried and I was 14. And I said, fuck this. I And I think I liked Halloween because I think this one similarly, we'll talk about it. It's not very gory. It's about the tension. It's about the mind games the camera is playing with you. And it's about the build to these amazing bursts of of Michael. Um, and so I don't exactly remember when I watched the first one, unfortunately. So my history is really just falling in love with the second one. I'm pretty sure I quickly after that watched the first and was also blown away. Um, but I do think it's been since college, maybe since I've watched this. So it was really, really kind of awesome to come back to this movie as like a person who considers himself a cinephile now, like coming back to this with a bu- a lot more history and understanding of cinema and films and John Carpenter. Uh, it was really kind of cool to come back to this movie as an adult. And like, it's just hard to describe how good it is. It really is just, it is just one of the greatest films ever made, I think, period, but especially in horror. Yeah. And I'll speak to Halloween two for a second. The original Halloween. I 2. love Halloween two. John Carpenter co-wrote the script otherwise not involved right and as a result it gives the movie the feel of like uh, 2010 the year we made contact for example Mm. or any amount of like lesser than sequels to iconic movies Mm. like yeah it's got the flavor of the movie you love but here's with like here's if a normal person would have just made halloween hmm it's very, it's good. It's fun. I love it. I have it in 4K. Big fan of Halloween 2. But Halloween 2 is very regular in a good way. In a good way. I just looked. I have it at three stars, which I don't recall when I last watched it or why I haven't watched Halloween 1 um, in a while. But yeah, like it's, uh, I remember when I was younger, I was obsessed with the moment in the car when she finds the body in the car and then the um, horn alerts Michael to where she is and she's hiding in the car. I remember just thinking that like, like that shit blew my fucking mind when I was 14. Like, yeah, it was, it was the first time I'd ever felt that way about a horror film. And I think that led to sort of my love of scream that also came out in high school. Like these slasher films that aren't heavily reliant on gore or, you know, like there's like fun amounts of blood and scream and in this film and then, and, you know, the, the most gory I feel like Halloween 2 gets is the needle thing where he drains that woman's blood or something and it's all over the floor. Yes, that's it's terrible. The, yeah, a terrible moment. But that's probably the goriest that gets. Like, I, I began to learn. Like, I don't... And that was also around the time, right? Saw was so popular. And in my mind, that was horror film. So I was like, that's not a place I want to be. But then I discovered things like Scream and Halloween. And I was like, oh, this is the kind of stuff that I think I can, I can hold on to. Halloween 2 also has some of the best Loomis moments. We'll get He's to him. He's not in this a lot. I was actually shocked to realize how little he is in this movie. I've shot him six times. I've shot him with Michael. Michael. He's a lot in, in the second one, if I recall correctly. Yes. He's all over the place. He is like, he plays, how should I put this? He plays a major role in yes. the finale of Halloween Yes. Two. The ending. Absolutely. Yes. So, Which is a crazy ending. Yes. So everybody stay tuned for our Halloween two episode of awesome danger <laughs> podcast. I'm sure that links and this just doesn't Yeah, I think just so. to fuck with us. But I want to talk at first about the bones, mm. bones, bones, bones. This movie is so we were talking about it before. Perfectly constructed. Yes. 
you get just enough of the backstory in the cold open. You get just enough of the exposition. You meet Lori and her friends and you get just enough of that. Just enough. And then the roller coaster starts. Mm-hmm. Loomis comes to town. Uh, I've seen this boy, Michael. It was me who taught him to drive or whatever. <laughs> and then the killing starts. And then it becomes just a cascading series of escalating shark attacks, basically. Yeah. To continue the forced Quint metaphor. Everybody remembers we talked about Jaws <laughs> last spring. Yeah. Like, he is Jaws. And this is like two, three years after Jaws, but yeah. this is like hot off that. But it's a similar formula. I mean, Jaws is sort of a slasher in its own in its own right, too. Yeah, exactly. And oh, man, people who've seen Halloween 2 are screaming at us right now. And all, that's all I'll say about that as if to not spoil Halloween 2. But yeah, I love that. I love that uh, slashers always have this character in, in Friday the 13th. He's like some deranged guy on a bike. Like Jason's alive. Jason's alive. He's <laughs> going to come get your children. Go back home. And that guy showed up in like five of those. Oh my God. But I, I always love the weird adult who knows what's going on and no one will believe him either. Cause he's crazy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. until our hero does. Right. And that's, I feel like that's Halloween too, right. Is her realizing he is correct. And then some sort of having to team up to survive. That's exactly right. I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left, no reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding. And even the most rudimentary sense of life or death of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this Six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. And then she kind of becomes that in the newer movies almost. Like not to spoil the, the revive the revival films, which I haven't seen the third, but I have seen the first two, but uh, oh maybe I've only seen the first. I forget. I don't know. I've seen the first. I one. don't think you've seen Halloween kill. No, I, I have not. Like I I've only known. seen the first. You're right. You're right. But you know what I mean? She kind of becomes that in, in, in the new or in the new iteration, right? That her kind of trauma, her trauma, her trauma from this night has sort of made her into Loomis in the future, trying to convince people of the danger, the very real danger of Michael. So yeah, she, right, it's kind exactly. of interesting. She becomes Loomis. That's interesting. Interesting. We'll get there. But I, I, I just, I just wanted to say up front that I think the per- the structure of this movie is perfect and amazing mm-hmm. and probably even better of a Jaws movie than Jaws. Although I do love how at least the guys in Jaws seemed competent. Dr. Loomis, <laughs> we'll use this kind of to get what is the he doing? of it. Dr. Loomis is one of my favorite characters in cinema ever. He's, of course, like I said, that archetype of the crazy old man, the cantankerous old buffoon that no one like believes. And he's also behind Michael by about a half hour every time. Yes, yes. Could you imagine being the sheriff? Like, like say what you will about believing or not believing, but could you imagine being the sheriff and they go to the graveyard? And it's like, what the fuck? What? <laughs> There was a part that hit me like a ton of bricks laughing my ass off where 
he's outside the Myers home and the sheriff comes up and it's like, what are you doing out here? And he's like, I'm going to wait here in case Michael shows up. You know, so something along those lines, they have some interaction where Loomis indicates he's been standing here and he will continue to stand here. We cut away for quite some time. And then we cut back to Loomis, who is still standing there, presumably has just been standing in this one location. <laughs> and then he turns his head 40 degrees to the left and goes, the van from the second. Like, he's been standing here for like two hours. And then he just turns his head a little bit. And is like, oh, my God, the van I've been looking for. Sir, you were standing there for so fucking long. So silly. Just he's ridiculous. Goofy as hell. And that's, if I'm right, that's the station wagon that he stole. Yes, from he sees the, the station wagon. Board. Yes, and then he's, and that's where he kind of starts to then realize Michael's like further down the street. And it's like, but he also, like, I don't know, the film indicates to me that he was standing there for a long time and he only just noticed the car that was literally across the street. We're talking about hours. Yeah, it just made me laugh. <laughs> it just made me laugh. I was like, he is so bad at his job. Like, and again, not to T2 it, but he only gets worse. Yes. In the main, in the first timeline, yeah, I highly recommend people check out the podcast Autopsy of a Horror Movie. They just went over the complete Halloween timelines mm. with our buddy Jay Sher from Podzilla. Oh, shit. I didn't know that, actually. It's like it's like a two and a half hour long episode because the the, they go through in detail every movie and every timeline. It's great. It's a lot of fun. And it'll help bridge the gaps on stuff like Unhinged Loomis in Halloween 5, which I hope one day we'll cover on the show. I mean, I got really into the films again after I kind of fell in love with two. I did check out most of them. I remember watching three. And since I was a teenager that did not use the internet a lot, I was like, why is it not Michael Myers? And I didn't understand what was going on. Um, And I think I remember skipping around a bit, but I remember loving the like H2O and Resurrection. And I remember watching a lot of those older ones. And um, again, this kind of spoils Halloween too, but I feel like people know about this. I find it interesting that they've cut the um, lore that is established into, and then is is like the most relevant thing of Michael Myers' lore for the remainder of this films of this eight. Is that you call it eighth timeline? Is that what you call it? The first sort of timeline of Halloween. Sorry. I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> but you know what I mean, like the first timeline of these first chunks of movies until they cut off right for the new the new trilogy. Um, the idea of Laurie and Michael being siblings is basically what i'm bringing yes, up and that's right big twist in halloween too and I, and that like that is its own thing that's its that's own thing. like and i think in the later films it's i think it's super interesting i remember when i was young i i loved this kind of push and pull between like laurie kind of wanting to save him i mean i think it i forget if it's h2 i think it's h2o where or it's 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 not the it's not the one where they're all in a reality show, which I think is resurrection. I think it's H two O resurrection, when, when which Mackenzie like, has admitted in DMs to liking because Tyra Banks is in it. Yeah, I loved. I played on FX a ton when I was a kid, so I watched it a lot when I was younger. But I think H two O was the one where she's like a college professor or something, and there's like this great yeah. scene where she's like confronting him and she wants to save him. And I like the push and pull of them being siblings. I understand why they cut it, but to me, um, I bring that up to say it always peppers how I view Halloween one. And I'm curious if you know whether or not they were planning, like when they made Halloween one, if they were planning to then make that addition in Halloween two, because I don't know, it's hard for me not to see it that way, I guess. Like when I watch this movie, I think of them as siblings because to me it is the timeline. I don't know. I'm curious how you reckon with, maybe this is a question I'm leading into. How do you reckon with the two timelines and do you have a preference? So I, I prefer 
this is an unpopular opinion. I prefer the current timeline. Is that unpopular? I thought people like those movies Um, enough, at least. Well, they like them enough. (laughs) But the Halloween, Halloween kills ends. I like that a lot more. I think that the brother and sister thing, I never knew Halloween without that being retconned. So, Mm, okay. For me, the Halloween that I knew that I got into is the original and then these new ones. Okay. Yeah. Everything else is just kind of in the soup. Yes. And I started with two. So I think that maybe that's why I'm attached to it, I guess, maybe. Sure. And I mean, Rob Zombie, not to, well, he gives it away. <laughs> Does he? Rob Zombie, it is the core, one of the core elements of his films is that that was kept. I, again, like, oh, well, see, now I'm interested in that because I, I don't know. I always found it to be really compelling. Um, and again, I understand why he cut it. But even in that I was, I remember vaguely watching the new Halloween in theaters and wishing it was still there because I don't know, because family and trauma i don't know maybe i'm over intellectualizing it but i remember that being a piece of halloween too that i enjoyed i forget the original point i was making but uh here we are now i mean i'll say this here's how i reconcile it they didn't want to do halloween 2 and they did it just because i think they they owed them halloween 2 oh strange and then they they were so married to michael myers that when it came time to make halloween 3 they abandoned all of it and it went terribly Mm mm-hmm and then that led into the Thorn trilogy, which we all know is ultimately a mistake. <laughs> and then the H2O timeline, which they fucked up themselves. And here we are. I mean, I remember now, four, uh, five and six being completely wonky. Talk about Sam Loomis. Paul Rudd Paul as Rudd. Tommy Doyle. Yeah, that one's that one's a foul. That's the that one with so the foul. It's like her grand. Uh, yeah, I remember. I vaguely, vaguely, vaguely remember the Jamie Lloyd stuff. Yeah, yeah all of that thing. stuff is technically tied into each other because it's because they didn't reckon anything until H2O. Yeah. Well, the the point is is that how I reconcile with it is they didn't want to do it anyway, so it's all kind of in good fun. Mm, yeah. That's the way I view all of these franchises. Like I will say Nightmare on Elm Street might be the most consistent up to Freddy's Dead. Actually, no, up through the end, up to New Nightmare. Hmm. It's a pretty spotty but consistent enough narrative. Friday the 13th ends three times. <laughs> LOL. But that's a whole other thing. Well, I mean, we maybe that's an interesting thing to talk about, right? Like you kind of set it up this, this, I mean, Halloween, it's very funny. A couple weeks ago, Ian and I talked about the graduate on Criterion Connection. We were talking about how ingrained in culture that is, how it has been spoofed on the Simpsons and Wayne's world and, uh, you know, family guy, pretty much anything that can be spoofed. The graduate has been spoofed in, um, it's just so ubiquitous with culture. I think Halloween is obviously exactly the same. Like I feel like Halloween, as uh as a film, is just so ubiquitous with 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 this time of year. Obviously, with culture in general. I mean the 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 theme and the vibe of Michael Myers. I feel like has been spoofed a ton. And yeah, I mean I always kind of have a also LOL that Mike Myers technically a that's a fun little connection to us um but like i don't know i've always Ah, that's something oh damn yes that's something (laughs) mike myers but like um i don't know i've always loved michael as a as a as as you know in terms of the the iconic horror villains that carry their franchises i've always just loved michael because he feels like the og you know i know that texas chainsaw technically kind of came before this but but michael really feels like the og of a franchisable horror villain that obviously as you said earlier continued numerous times throughout the 80s and 90s uh, in series is that are still being rebooted today i mean if you look at 
Jason Voorhees alone. What else do I even have to say besides, you know, yeah, it's a hockey mask, but besides that, you know what I mean? It's Michael. Yeah. <laughs> Enough said. Michael. And I mean, that score, that piece of music that is just like, who doesn't love it? Who doesn't know it? Who doesn't uh, it shivers down their spine when they hear it? I could it. think of a future guest who doesn't love the Halloween theme. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I could listen to it all day. Oh, it got me hype as fuck. When it started, uh, I was I was literally like, I got so excited. Like, I got genuinely so like physically excited. I started dancing. It like me, I just hadn't watched this movie in forever. And hearing the song and the way he so carefully uses it in such brilliant moments. And when it comes back, I think it's so well-placed and so intentional. It, it just, it hits. It hits every time for me. Mackenzie, I have two big things I want to talk about. I want to get them out of the way. I'm going to hard segue into oh, one of them. Okay. We're talking about Michael Myers and his status as a mascot. Yes. But I would also like to posit something. Michael Myers, who is apparently, let's unpack this first. The timeline yes. of this film, as yes. you pointed out to me in our DMs today. Yes. Puts Michael a seven foot tall killing machine at 21 years old. 21 years old. Even in, in even in 1978, I find that hard to believe. You see like a second of his hands. Those hands don't belong to a 21 year old. <laughs> no offense. Those hands are old hands. Those, those hands have seen age and time. I've seen these hands. These are aged hands. <laughs> Those are aged hands. Like, I don't even aged, know. Yeah, the aged hands of Michael Myers. That's why I yeah. <laughs> That's why I assumed the brother-sister thing had to have been planned because, like, making him 21 makes it, like, more feasible that he would have had a, you know, a sibling who was, like, two, right, when he killed Judith. Based on Jamie Lee Curtis's age, who I'm presuming is, like, 17, 18. I've, talk, I've taken her as, like, a junior senior in high sure. school. And I mean... The thing that's great about Michael is that you never really know. That's any the thing. attempt, yeah. any attempt to explain has been a train wreck. Yes. I think that's part of what makes him scary is that you don't know anything about him. The anonymity of him is what makes him so fearsome. And I, and I think that that's the case with a lot of masked villains like this. And yeah, I think that's why sometimes I wish the, I understand that it is a business now, but I wish like films like this could just kind of exist on their own because like, yeah, the more you flesh him out, as much as I love the brother sister thing, the more you flesh him out, the the more you you're being asked to sympathize with him almost right. By the time we get to H two O, Laurie Strode is trying to sympathize with this person who killed half of her friend group, if not all of them. Like, uh, you know, it's it's yeah, I agree. The anonymity is is what makes it scary, and the whole like I was it was really hitting me today watching this. Um, it's the kind of it could happen to you vibes of this scenario right like she's being stalked that's a thing that many women and people have been through like it like like kind of just a man kind of just drives and keeps his eye on you and you don't really know and you can't trust your own sense like that's something that could easily happen to anyone today and happens to many people all the time and like I don't know, like this this idea of you get in your car, a place you think is safe, and someone jumps out the back seat. That has happened to someone I know. Like that is a scary thing that can happen. Oh, to that's people. the fucking worst. Like it happens. I don't know. Like I was also thinking, like the way he attacks children and animals. Like I, I think that um, the anonymity and the co- sort of um, almost ordinary aspect of these 
scary things I think is what makes it so scary. Like I understand the idea of like a, a Freddy, you want this paranormal kind of energy, but to me, this kind of shit is always going to be scarier because it's stuff that could happen to me tomorrow, you know, for all I know. And I think that's what makes it so scary and what makes Michael so scary. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. But also how is Lori seeing him for like the fifth time in one day and not calling the cops? (laughs) Why is she like, God, this creepy fuck with a mask has been around like five, six times. It's fine. I'm sure. That's because she knows the rules. You have to be (laughs) lured into an elaborate trap. And that's what I wanted to get at Mm. is Michael is a goofy little guy. He's goofy. He is 21. (laughs) He is everywhere. He's very scary. He could be anywhere. He's 21. Amazing, amazing final shot of the movie. Okay. But also he has the mental presence to put on a ghost-like sheet and the glasses, (laughs) which has always bugged me. And he does it in Rob Zombie's Halloween. Why? Why the fuck? Which Which almost runs the whole movie into a ditch because you're like, what like you know more about michael in that film than you've ever known about him and you've never known him to put on a stupid sheet and it makes no sense it's a great moment it's really funny but also digging a whole gravestone up can he carry that on his own how the fuck did he get a gravestone out and then he's placing it he had to okay what was the timeline of him killing her and then having to like model her body out move a gravestone up to a second floor like this dramatic motherfucker that's what i'm saying like he should be funneling this into the theater industry (laughs) i it is so funny to me to imagine a 21 year old under that mask hi my name is michael I'm a production designer from Haddonfield, <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> oh my I love it. Gosh. And, and for Michael, you know, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction, right? So for theater kid Michael, his nemesis is, or his target, his would-be target, is the imitable, the one, the only, future Awesome Danger podcast legend, Jamie Lee Curtis. We love her. This is years before she invented Facebook and Instagram. (laughs) This is Jamie Lee Curtis inventing being a Nepo baby. (laughs) Well, I find it so interesting. She's so good here. And, you know, the, clearly they're trying to, do you think, were they trying to be cute? Right. With because of Janet Lee, I feel like Janet Lee, the, the vision of her in the shower in psycho to me is what i when i think screen queen i think of janet lee in the shower and psycho right and she feels like the sort of root of all the scream queens that would come after her including i think jamie lee curtis is laurie strode her and sydney prescott are my two favorite final girls of all time uh but i do think laurie strode to me is like the most iconic final girl of all time her maybe ripley her and ripley are the two like I would say like most iconic final girls. And I, I think she's so cute here. She's so sweet. You love her. So immediately, um, you don't have to work hard. I mean, obviously you're you're like, who's going to this movie, like rooting for him to kill people, but like, you don't have to work hard to root for her. You really want her to live because she just exudes this kindness and warmth. I thought you were babysitting to me. The only reason she babysits is to have a place. Shit. I have a place for that. I forgot my chemistry book. So who cares? I always forget my chemistry book and my math book and my English book and my, let's see, my French book. And, well, who needs books anyway? I don't need books. I, I always forget all my books. I mean, it's a 
doesn't really matter if you have your books or not. Hey, isn't that Devon Graham? I don't think so. I think he's cute. Hey, jerk! Speed kills! It also helps that she's surrounded by assholes. All of these yes, kids are all these kids so are assholes. terrible. And they really do deserve it. That's the thing I think that is often underrated. Again, in that Rob Zombie Iraq war era, we we kind of lost sight of the th- the people who have bad things happen to them deserve it. And that's why you're kind of rooting for him. <laughs> right? And now when we get to Lori, it's like, no, not her, but also like, what if, right? What if? And she's such a fighter, which I think is amazing because she feels so waifish and kind of soft and like doesn't know how to ask a boy to the dance on her own. But she like fights back when push comes to shove and it ends up what makes her an amazing final girl. And obviously in the new films, they've really leaned into like badass Lori um, in a way that is, is, is fun with her weird fucked up trap house. Um, you know what I mean? Like she I, like can shoot a gun now is what I'm saying. I love Lori, old Lori Strode until I have to think about it critically. But well, again, later days. One day, one day, one day. Later days. Let's see. We talked about My Holy Trinity. We talked about Michael's theater kid past. I got a lot of popcorn if we want to pop some corn. We could pop some corn. I think this is a great popcorn notes movie. Oh, yeah. Well, I was telling you, like nothing really, like it's like such a a beautifully paced but slow moving movie because it's really just building the tension of Michael stalking for like an hour and then the murders happen and then you're over and you're like, wow, that was the best movie ever. Right. It's like kids just being kids until they are murdered Their by bodies, a 21 yes. year old theater. Kid <laughs> 21 year knife. old. Do you want to popcorn first? You want me to popcorn first? Yeah, I'll pop some corn. I love the shout out to the thing from another world on the TV. I wonder what that means. I feel like in three years, we'll find out. Wink. Wink. Wink, wink. Again, I love how the kids deserve it. It's so elegant. The amount of development they're given is just enough for you to like grow attachment to them to notice when they're dead, but not so much that you care. And then they're just such assholes that they get it. I love it. I love that Michael can drive. I find that so funny. And later movies in the series posit that it was Loomis who taught him how to drive, which is yet again compounding on his Quint meets Mr. Bean persona in my mind. He had had a funny line of like, he doesn't have a license or something in this movie. And I was like, what? (laughs) Loomis, people can drive without license. (laughs) Hey, here's an update on something we talked about in the main discussion. John Carpenter, well, listen, 926 people think it's helpful to know that the casting was halfway intentional. Obviously, Mm. she had to come into audition, but what better way to pay tribute to Psycho than to have Janet Lee's daughter in the film? Yeah, absolutely. I think that considering the, considering how it happened, the Michael Myers mask is amazing. All they had to do was spray a William Shatner mask white and it looks terrifying. Yes. Really defines a generation oh, yeah. of slashers, right? Because without that, there's no hockey mask. Mm-hmm. And I think that's most of my popcorn. You know, uh, people died. 
It was sad. The the girl getting stuck. Here's something that feel feels modern. When the girl gets stuck in the shack outside. Yes. And she's like, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Back in my day, there'd be a bear trap on the floor and you'd see that. Oh. And that'd be horrible. I'm happy that there was some restraint shown. But uh, I, yeah, I love Halloween. Mackenzie, your popcorn. God, I have so many popcorn. Um, I love the opening POV shot, I want to say. Yes, um, the mask and, and setting up the breathing under the mask. Yes, because I was looking it up because I was like, when did POV shots get like popularized? I do think this popularized it a lot. But um, yeah. I was fine because it reminded me of a 1947 film with Bogey in it called Dark Passage that Whoa. the first hour of that film is shot point of view from Bogart's character, which is crazy looking and it obviously no one in 1947 liked it but i in 2023 thought it was bold and wild and since you're bogart lauren bacall is just looking you square in your eye and i'm like this is intimate and strange but i was wondering if he was pulling from that because i was looking online and um only other films i could find that came before 1947 dark passage was um the firebird from 1934 and the 30s jekyll and hyde both kind of used pov shots uh in, in the same way that carpenter is here but i mean dark passage it's like a whole hour of that movie so i was curious if maybe he was pulling from that because it does really suck you into the the point of view of the character and you feel uh it feels kind of intimate because you're like who am i and there's kind of a reveal of like oh i'm a i'm the murderer like you kind of it kind of immediately makes the the audience feel like immersed but jarred and then you you know you feel kind of almost guilty for judith's death because it's sort of you know what i mean it looks like you're doing it almost like it's i think it's an interesting choice and i think it works so well it's a really bold choice and then once the camera pans out the idea is to make him a complete blank slate and you can't relate to him at all which is what makes him scary and it's also fascinating this choice. like child, you know what I mean? I guess like you kind of see the hand, the little Chucky doll hand. Uh, it looks small, <laughs> but like, you know, it's kind of also a reveal that this is a kid. I don't know. It's just like, what a what an opening. It's kind of just bold in multiple ways, I think. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's no uh, coincidence that you'll see other similar point of view shots in movies like Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. And then extremely iterated on in the evil dead movies with um, a technique where they screwed a camera into a piece of plywood and then they ran with it uh, to give this kind of, there's a ghostly image that's weaving mm. through. It's really cool effect. You haven't seen those. Have I have you? not. No. Yeah. I mean, if you ever, I think they evil dead Two an army of darkness link. So you'll see that effect soon. Amazing. And it's very good. Um, when Loomis is in this van with this nurse who he fucking hates. Oh, it's so it's good. so funny. One, he's so funny. But also what I wrote down was remember when people used to smoke in closed windowed cars with other human beings? Like remember when people just smoked in restaurants and shit? Like what a yeah. wild time in America <laughs> that we were alive Nobody. for. Your doctor, the the joke everyone likes to use is your doctor smoked. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like I remember going to restaurants with my smoking grandmother and great grandmother. Uh, I mean, smoke was all over our house. They smoked in our house, but I remember going to restaurants and in cars and just like, we just be, we just be in closed locations smoking. It was wild. Also this nurse dumb as hell. Why is she rolling the window down? She's like, oh, it's raining and there's a freak on the roof. Let me roll the window down. Girl, what? <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with her? 
even by slasher standards, not bright. Stupid. Stupid as hell. No wonder Loomis hates this bitch. The first time he uses the Billy scared the shit out of me and I got so mad. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I wrote, this is when I started thinking too, like Carpenter does such a brilliant job at making you, giving you the tools to scare yourself in this film. Right. I know that's like something he's known for with this, this film, but like he also is making the ordinary so terrifying. Like Michael is watching her in broad daylight and yet it is so scary. Like this just man at like 2 PM in the middle of a street is so scary. Like the way he's able to make that so effective for such a large portion of the film that does take place like during the day. Uh, it's, I just couldn't believe like he's so, and again, he, he, he shows these situations like are relatable, like having sex, you know what I mean? A very vulnerable place for generally for people. And Michael's shadow goes over them. Like he's right there. Like even in your most vulnerable places, he will find you. And it's, yeah, again, it's so relatable. It's, uh, it's horrifying. And then, yeah, the mm-hmm. kind of tools to scare yourself the way he leaves space you know, on the side. So you're like expecting something to be over there and you're waiting and you're building it up in your mind and then nothing happens. And then it makes the, the real scary and more effective. There was one part because, you know, he, he would have Lori or people walk away and then Michael would sort of enter close to camera. There was one shot where he just held on the girls walking away and I was sitting there waiting for Michael to appear and scare me. And he never did. And it was just the way he, with a 90 minute movie, perfect or it's you know 85 minutes even it's it's shorty it's perfect (laughs) he's still able to be patient with the way he builds tension and i think that's the brilliance of the movie is that it doesn't overstay its welcome but it feels so patient and well paced and it's very rare i think that a movie has both of those qualities and this one does okay when i was young when i first saw this movie the thing that always stuck with me and it was the moment that made me be like this is so special and i still had that smile on my face when this happened today i think one of the best moments in the film slash in horror films slash in all films one of my favorite moments in the world is after he kills the boyfriend that's at the cupboard you know hoists him up and stabs him and there's that amazing shot of the feet relaxing and then it pulls out to show the knife. You know, we got to suspend our disbelief a bit that the knife would have held him there like he's a, you know, a piece of paper on a dartboard. But you do. You suspend your disbelief. There's this amazing shot of him stabbed into the door hanging up there and Michael just turning his head like a curious child or or a, a mm-hmm. curious animal, right? Like you you I just think that is one of the most brilliant things in the entire world. Because it's, it, it, it at the same time makes him seem animalistic while also childish. Because, yeah, this per, this child who killed at six years old, there's no way he was able to develop a, an emotional intelligence, an age probably to the age he actually is. So it reads as like a six-year-old. Like, I just think that's one of the most brilliant moments. And like, in a second, tells me so much about that character while also making him more mysterious and more terrifying. And it's just like a 10 second shot. I just think that is one of the most brilliant things ever. Genuinely. Hell yeah. Sorry. I'm rambling. I just love that moment. It's my favorite. I had to shout it out. I really genuinely just think it's the best. And then again, once we get to the end, when Lori gets attacked, it's like a roller coaster to the end. I mean, the, the, the birth of this final girl, really the amazing, uh, I mean, all of the face-offs with her and Michael are amazing, but obviously the, the closet, is the most iconic and that amazing closet sequence is just like 
that is the climax for me. That amazing shot of him rising again, right? Maybe maybe one of the best shots in the whole movie. Some of the best directing for me happens in this this 20-minute sequence where every shot just the cinematography is so dynamic. It's so interesting the way it frames Michael in the darkness and her in the moonlight and the way they come together for those scares. Like it's just it is such brilliant filmmaking. It's such simple, effective, well thought out and well executed filmmaking that I feel like I miss so much with other horror films, which is why I don't think I've ever become a horror buff because I kind of hold everything to the standard that is Halloween uh, and they don't always mean it for me. That's exactly right. Um, little note, the person who f- closed their windows and turned off their lights on a screaming teenager asking for help deserves to be killed. Michael should have killed that person. Maybe he did in Halloween Kills. We have to keep track of that. We have to watch closely. But that is all the popcorn notes I had. Kev, I don't think it's any question, but do you want to give me some final thoughts on a star rating? I mean, it's the blueprint. In a lot of ways, okay, there are people who will say Texas Chainsaw or Psycho. You know, I'll, I'll see Psycho, but I think that is the blueprint for horror film as we know it, or the slasher especially as we know it. But Halloween takes all of the elements from those films and synthesizes it into something that is sleek and perfect and easy to understand. There is no surprise why Freddy, Jason, Chucky, Scream, all these films borrow, well, Scream's a pastiche, but you get what I mean. All of them borrow heavily from Halloween because it is perfect. Five stars. Yeah, it was such an amazing treat to revisit this movie. Rachel did not want to watch with me. She was a little too nervous. And I'm hoping that one day, maybe even this episode will change her mind. Because it really is, it is one of, if not the greatest Halloween movie of all time. And I say that as someone who doesn't like a lot of Halloween movies. So grain of salt, as always, with pretty much everything we say, grain of salt. But it is what it is for a reason. It's so perfectly structured. It's so perfectly executed. It is the blueprint. It is, she is that girl. She is iconic. Five stars, always, always and forever. There was never any doubt. Boom. I love this movie. It's perfect. Common 10 star from Austin Powell. <laughs> All right, shall we? Let's do it. I love gold. So as you can imagine, in 1978, horror films, uh, not popular mm. uh, in the Academy Award situation. Very popular among people in the world, but not so much Hollywood. How? Ever at the Avoriaz Fantastic Film Festival in Avoriaz, France. All right. I believe that's the name. Halloween won the Critics Award, but it also seems to be a bunch of genre films. But also at the LA Film Critics Association Awards, Halloween won the new, well, John Carpenter won the New Generation Award for the film Halloween. Oh, that's this fun. was also the year Kramer versus Kramer kind of swept the situation mm, Best mm-hmm, Picture, Best mm-hmm. Screenplay. Meryl Streep, Dustin Hoffman, Robert Benton, director, Sally Field for Norma Ray. Oh, wow. Best Cinematography and Music went to The Black Stallion. So a big year in Hollywood, 1979. And that's uh, that's I Love Gold. No Alan Parsons this week because, believe me, I triple-checked tonight. There are no links to the Austin Powers trilogy, except for, of course, the name Michael Myers. <laughs> Mackenzie pointed out earlier, I bet you, listener, were screaming at your phone last <laughs> week when I didn't bring it up. But it's a work, brother. You think I wasn't going to mention Michael Myers? Get out of here. Boom. There you are. You're over there. We have no use over there because, to be real, we recorded this episode earlier than 
it was announced that we were doing Halloween. So we don't, uh, we don't, we didn't expect you to write it on Halloween because uh, you didn't have a chance. But if you want to talk about Halloween next week or anything we've watched before or what we might be watching next week on hopefully the regular wheel that is hopefully in Kev's apartment right now, you can email us at austindangerpodcast at gmail.com, uh, send us your letters and voicemails, and we'll share them on the show. Kev, is the wheel saved? Are we finally free? The wheel is here. It is back to normal <gasps> enough. Okay, okay, that's good. It's back to normal enough. Half of the movies on it are The Lion King 2019. Oh, God. So I don't know what Jigsaw is into. Oh, no, Jigsaw. I think we're still being punished then. Oh, God. All right, here goes nothing. Pray for me. I'm going to put on my chainmail gloves and I'm going to spin the wheel. Mackenzie, you know, we talk a lot. We're friends. Yeah. There's no secret here. No secret. No. And we have a handful of movies that we're like, we have to watch this. We have to watch this. But we should save it for Austin Danger podcast. We are kicking off november in style is it november or is it noir <gasps> as only we can do it on austin danger podcast next week on austin danger podcast steve martin yes 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 i believe he is making his debut on this show can you confirm yes! that I, I don't know. I don't know. Kev, I know what this is. Oh, my fuck. Oh. Carl Reiner, yes. Steve Martin, in a parody of film noir and pulp detective films in the 1940s, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid is next week's <gasps> Austin Danger podcast film. Steve Martin's co-stars in this film include, stop me if you've heard these names on this very episode, Ingrid Bergman, Humphrey Bogart, James Cagney, Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, Brian Donlevy, Kirk Douglas, Ava Gardner, Cary Grant, Alan Ladd, Veronica Lake, Burt Lancaster, Charles Lawton, Fred McMurray, Ray Milan, Edmund O'Brien, Vincent Price, Barbara Stanwyck, and Lana Turner. How? Because Steve Martin is acting against clips from classic film noir. Now, I've never seen this film. I've wanted to ever since yes. we saw a review come in. Was it Trainer, our dear acquitted friend Trainer? I reviewed it because um, I watched it. You did? Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. And you saw it Shoot. and were like, what the fuck is this? That's right. Wow. Two stars from Letterboxd's Brian Formo. <laughs> Good lord. Well, there is a rating from old from old Kenzo up already, so check. even Trainer. Trainer gave this three and a half stars and no review, which like don't be scared. <laughs> don't be scared, Trainer. Oh. Well, we'll have to see what I think of it next week on Austin Danger Podcast. Dead men don't wear plaid. Very exciting. I am I'm pumped for this. Oh my god. What a better time, November, eh? Yeah. And if you want to get into November with us in our own funky Austin Danger Podcast way, you can send us an email or a voicemail or whatever to austindangerpodcast at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram or look us up in the phone book or whatever it is you do to harass your favorite podcast. Do it. All right. Next week, November kicks off in style. But until then, for Mackenzie, this is Kev. Austin Danger Podcast, peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie.
Thanks for listening.